Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In today's show, we cover the five biggest news stories from the world of Formula One, including the phrase gives Williams a headache, that his super licensed saga continues, how should you end a race, is Domenico considering another revamp for F1, and the F2 champion's got a seat for next year, kind of. Welcome to News from the Nerds, the midweek news show brought to you by the Formula Nerds. Every Wednesday we update you on everything you need to know from the world of F1. Is brought to you by the news team at Formula Nerds. Keep up to date with all the latest news by visiting our website at formulanerds.com. I'm James, and today I'm a happy man as the other half of my hive mind has returned from his European adventures. Samuel, how is it going? How was it all? It's, it's going good, thanks. Uh, yeah, it was, it was amazing. I mean, I had a, a few travel mishaps. Um, you know, broken suitcase, uh, cancelled flight, cancelled train journey. Uh, also had to ride on the back of a moped uh, with an Italian security guard with no helmet on. Terrifying experience. So a few things I'd like love that. to know the context there. I don't, I don't know if we have time, but... <laughs> I'll explain another time, but it's it's a funny it's a funny story. Um, so yeah, no, it was it was it was really good. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and uh, yeah, but uh, also very nice to be home, uh, back to my my girlfriend and uh, and uh, a comfortable bed, and us, yeah, obviously. and you guys, of course. There you go. Uh, <laughs> and Abby, you've not been away, but uh, glad to have you, of course, as ever. How is it going for you? It's going well, it's going well. I'm looking forward to this episode because Sam is back. It is nice to have you back in England and on the podcast. Oh, stop it, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is just the three of us this week, so let's crack on with the news. And we'll start with Nick DeVries. So, yeah, he, he was already a Formula 2 and Formula E champion, but I think it's fair to say that his stock rose considerably last weekend. In case you missed it, he filled in for Alex Albon on short notice and matched Williams' best result this year with ninth on his debut. Undeniably very impressive, and it's surely given Williams some more thinking to do about their second driver for next year. 
The smart money had been leaning towards their F2 Academy driver, Logan Sargent. There was also talk of a few others, such as Mick Schumacher, even Daniel Ricciardo. So has DeVries' performance this weekend given them no option but to offer him the drive? I certainly think it's put him in a good position to get the drive. I mean, he outperformed Latifi this weekend in that Williams, even after being in the Aston Martin. And then I think he was like doing some media for Aston. And then he got the call when he was like, I was about to get my morning coffee. And then he had to sprint down the paddock to Williams to get in the car. And he qualified 13th, started 8th and finished 9th. And he was in the top 10 in that race for more time than Latifi has been all season, which... A great start. Yeah, like, I'm pretty sure he deserves an F1 seat, surely. And also, let's not forget that he only had free practice three in that Williams. It was late. He also was driving the car of someone who is considerably taller. So yes, they obviously, you know, I don't know if they would have brought his seat from his free practice session with Williams earlier in the year, but on the radio during that free practice session, he said, I can't see my wing mirrors. Like the whole car was set up for someone who's a very different body to him. So the the, the fact he was able to adjust, and, and let's face it, you know, he made a, a slight error in qualifying. He could well have made it into Q3. It was a, a very strong weekend. It was kind of the inverse George Russell, wasn't it? You know, rather than cramming himself into Lewis Hamilton's cockpit, he's had to, you know, put, I guess, put wooden blocks on his feet to reach the pedals of Alex Albon. I think yeah, they're called clogs. Oh, yeah, of course. He is. <laughs> you know all about that now, don't you, my friend? Just keep rubbing it in. Yes, you went to Holland. <laughs> I, in fairness, I'd already been on a stag Oh, <laughs> Cliche, or a humble brag or less. I can't figure it out. Uh, but, yeah, less. no, he's, <laughs> it was no. He's done an amazing job, and yeah, I mean, I think people really they like to say for some reason that you know he won in a weak field and kind of without really that much backup. I would say to to that opinion because you you never really know. We we wonder now about the the quality of the the seasons where it was Van Dorn and Julian Palmer maybe because obviously they won and then didn't quite live up to expectations, but you, you never really know and you never know how someone's going to transform to the next level up at F1. Some drivers sink, some swim. Yeah, this whole weak field argument, I, I, I don't buy it because even to get to that point of being an F2, yes, there's so many different factors that come into to, you know what seat you, you have and how competitive your package is, even in the feeder series. But... He still won the F2 Championship. He then won the Formula E Championship. And we know that the quality of the field there is very high. So I don't buy that argument. However, moving it back to the Williams seat for next year, surely it's advantage to Vries at this stage. I think so. Yeah, I mean, Logan Sargent's had a, a bit of a messy run as well. Uh, see, he, was, he is the driver from the academy. And I think when he won uh, at Silverstone and he kind of moved towards the top of the standings it it looked yeah like he was he was starting to to take pole position for that seat but he's only had I looked this up earlier he's only taken 20 points from the last 10 races the last five events obviously with the the feature and the sprint race in each he'll likely finish third in the championship anyway but uh, and he should have the super license points required but I think he he might now have to accept a reserve role on the subject of super license points there's another young driver who's trying to rack them up 
Or there is. Yeah, potentially convince F1 that he doesn't need to, right, Sam? Well, I think it's more more those around him or Red Bull who are doing trying to do the convincing there. Um, but yes, everyone will be very much familiar with this this conversation point by now. But that is Colton Herscher, whether or not he will be granted a super license exception uh, by the FIA to take the Alpha Tauri seat, thus releasing Pierre Gasly to take the second seat at Alpine for next year. Um, so what we know so far is that essentially if Herscher isn't given that exception, AlphaTauri will keep hold of Gasly and it's then Alpine that have to find a second driver from, you know, a pool of, you know, Schumacher, Duan, De Vries, Ricardo, and, you know, potentially some others. So basically the debate now is, should that exception be given? Is it fair? Is it right? And it's starting to get tri- tribal on Twitter um, and in social on social media. I don't think anyone's saying that the way it works is right at the moment. So, like for context, as things stand, a super license point kind of rundown for you. The F two champion gets forty points, which is enough to drive in, for- in Formula One full time, as well as second and third in the championship, and then it goes down. 30, 20, 10, 8, 6, 4, 3 for the top 10 of that championship. IndyCar, however, the drop-off is significantly uh, more harsh. So you start with 40 for the winner, and then it goes 30, 20, 10, 8, 6, 4, 3, 2, 1, down to 10th place. For context, if you finish 4th in IndyCar, you get the same number of points for if you finish 4th in Freca which is the Formula Regional European Championship by Alpine, which is the standard step below Formula 3. So there's obviously something that's not quite right there. That needs to be addressed. But can you retroactively change those rules or give an exception to a driver? Understandably, I think it would annoy many in the F2 paddock if that were to happen, because there's so much talent, like Nick De Vries, Felipe Dragovic, Oscar Piastri, Robert Schwartzman, Callum Island, yeah, I could go on and on, who haven't been given the opportunity to race full-time in F1 yet. I think that Herter is an amazing driver and he is good enough for F1. I think with the super licence, the IndyCar points are weighted wrongly. It does seem very harsh that they're, like like you said, Sam, if you finish fourth in IndyCar, that's the same as Frecker, which is below F3. But... With F2 and F3, there are so many talented drivers and they are. there's a lot that are part of F1 driver academies. Like you've got Ferrari and Red Bull, Williams, Alpine. And I think if you start bringing in drivers from other championships that don't necessarily have the super license points, it kind of then takes away from those in those academies. Like for Red Bull, Horner has said that they'll stick with Gasly if they can't get hurt of, because there's no other interesting option. But they have so many young drivers in F2 and F3 that could take make the move. They have Lawson, Owasa, Hauger, Deruvela, and then more in F3. And also not to mention the fact that IndyCar isn't a feeder series. So it's, it's a standalone championship in itself that is meant to and does you know rival Formula 1 in many ways. People have slept on IndyCar for too long, much like they have with Formula E. But F2 and F3 are designed to be those stepping stones to F1. That's the whole purpose of them. 
So, yeah, and, and no one's saying that Hirsch is not a good enough driver, but has he done enough? I think there's a valid argument there. So someone tweeted earlier, you know, this uh, a rundown that in 2020, he finished third in IndyCar, so that's 20 points. In 2021, he finished fifth, that's eight points. He finished 10th this year, so that's one point. That gets him to 29 points out of a required 40. So he could take um, a, a drive over the winter in a much lower category to, to boost those points. Again, is that right? Is it not? I don't think it's unfair to say that he hasn't done enough over the last three years to, to earn that, In the as the current system is. Whether or not the current system is fair or not, I just don't think you can retroactively go back and change that. I think you cause more problems than you solve. They, but they do need to change change it moving forward. They can't let this happen again and again. Especially as IndyCar is, is becoming more and more relevant in Europe, and you're seeing a lot of F1 drivers moving over to the series um, following their their F1 careers, basically. Yeah, uh, I agree. Yeah, it's not a feeder series, but obviously it's a high level, so they should there should be more points given towards super licenses because yeah, it's, it's not about proving yourself in IndyCar to get to F1. Like you say, it's, it's just in its own right. It's a standalone thing, but yeah. Uh, but I don't think that Colson Herter should be getting in to the AlphaTauri seat ahead of Liam Lawson personally. Whilst we're on uh, controversial subjects, the ending of the Formula One race at Monza over the weekend has been much discussed and complained about online uh, by fans, by pundits, by former drivers. So if you didn't catch the end of, of the Italian Grand Prix, Danny Ricciardo retired on lap 47. And he retired, in, unfortunately for him, in an unsafe place. So a safety car was called out. The safety car was then out for the remaining six or seven laps of the race. And we finished the Grand Prix under a safety car. Verstappen won, Leclerc came second. But people weren't happy with the way the race ended. It hasn't been lost on people that this is perhaps how the race should have ended uh, in Abu Dhabi. Because on this occasion, the stewards... The race officials followed the regulations to the letter. This is what was meant to have happened. Again, the debate is now, do we need to change the rules? Should races end in this manner? Should it be in a red flag? Arguably, yes, because there was a uh, a removal vehicle, a, 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 not tractor, what, what are they called? Guys, help me out here. <laughs> Crane. JCB. A crane, yes. Let's go with crane. Or J- JCB, yeah. Yeah, it's not a crane, it's like 10 times bigger than that, isn't it? I think. I saw Whatever. an article and it was a mobile crane. Yeah, I thought it was a tractor crane. at first. But a mobile crane. It was a vehicle I'm, that was moving to get the car out of the way. This is the quality content that people listen to. <laughs> I grew up in South London. We didn't have tractors. Um, so I don't really know what they are. So hence my my confusion. But anyway. We don't want a repeat of what happened in 2014 with George Bianchi. So that should have been an automatic red flag in my view. But the controversy kind of, aside from that, is more that it was a massive anticlimax to the race. Guys, what do you think? Do you think that rule needs to be changed? 
Do you find it jarring in comparison to 2021? Yeah, what are your thoughts here? It did echo Abu Dhabi last year. But as you said, this time the rules were followed to the letter. However, Ricardo's car was parked in between the two Lesmo corners, which aren't particularly high-speed corners, but they're not incredibly slow either. And yes, the FIA have said the incident, having Ricardo's car parked on track there, wasn't significant enough to require a red flag. But it was moving the crane, whatever we're calling it, was moving backwards, getting Ricardo's car out of the way as the cars were driving past behind the safety car. Which, yes, they've reduced their speed, but still, if one of them had had a failure or something, if one of them had lost control, it could have smacked into the crane and the consequences could have been even worse. So George Russell crashed behind the safety car, straight into the wall. Exactly. So I think, yes, they followed the rules, but I do think that there needs to be something, like some regulation has to change because that isn't safe to have the cars moving whilst the crane's moving on track. And I get, like, some people want, like, for Abu Dhabi, I think Michael Massey explained it as, like, well, we want what's best for the sport, we want the entertainment, which is why we then did the last lap dash. And, yes, that may be so, but at the same time you want the safety, but ending it under a safety car, I don't think is, like... I don't know. I don't think that's best for the sport, but it needs to be looked at. But sorry, Joe, just before you jump in, I don't buy the argument that what's best for the sport and is the most entertaining are necessarily always going to be the same thing. Unfortunately, we this is the real world. This isn't the F1 game. It can't always be entertainment. There are things they could do. They could bring in a rule that, if, you know, if there is an instant as such within the last five laps of a race, well, actually, that wouldn't work in this case, it's 10 laps of the race, say, there is an automatically a red flag. There, there, there are things they could do. And again, that is just pulled straight off the top of my head. I haven't thought of the, uh, you know, ramifications. Or, in IndyCar, I think, isn't there? Is, well, well, there you go. Maybe I'm closer to the mark than, than I thought it was. But yeah, there are things they can do. But you're not always going to get the most entertaining outcome. I'm sorry, it's just not always going to happen. I think they got the result right this weekend. And I know it's an anticlimax, but that, to me, is more important than a controversy that is still rumbling on how many months later? Nine, ten months later? Yeah. It's about integrity, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it's not a soap. It's it's a sport. And people love to say, oh, it's an entertainment before it's a sport. It's not. It's a sport. And yeah, you could make football more enticing if it's nil-nil in the last 10 minutes by messing with the rules to try and get some. But no, it, the the beauty of sport is that it's real. And that's what makes it exciting. We could have a dull race for 75, 80%. It comes alive at the end and it's all worth it because it was the build-up and it's, it's frustrating. I mean... Yeah, I agree. I, I, I'm i not angry that it finished under the safety car. Sure, would it have been more entertaining? Of course it would. But, you know, those are the rules and how the timings worked out. So, at least as it is now, it was just, yeah, it was all a bit too reminiscent of Abu Dhabi and I can't say I didn't feel bitter watching it play out the way that it should. Yeah, I mean, you can only play with the rule book in front of you and, and when you don't, you know, we've seen what's happened in the past. So, that I mean, that... 
clearly causes more problems than it solves. Yeah, I think Abu Dhabi has kind of impacted this season a lot and especially race control's decisions and whether there's hesitation to apply different things and sometimes immediacy immediacy to apply some things that some people think maybe that shouldn't have been it but ending under the safety car was the right way i just have a problem with the crane moving on track with the cars so i think that should be looked at but yeah yeah i'm I'm really trying to fall back fully in love with f1 but man it's it's not easy sometimes and that leads me nicely into the next piece of news because someone else not making it easy is stefano Domenicali. now firstly he said that f1 needs less practice and more points paying sessions he said i think to see from a fan perspective that every day there is something to fight for on the track is very important i mean free practice is very interesting for the engineers or for the drivers but at the end of the day in sport you need to fight for something I mean, it just doesn't. Having qualifying on Friday is bad enough on a sprint weekend, but practice sessions, no. I, I'm just going to put a scenario out there. If you're giving up points for practice, what if the title's decided during FP2 on Friday because Max got the one point he needed to be mathematically far enough ahead? I mean, he's clearly all about the show and making money. How much of an anticlimax would that be? Well, just to go back to what you said earlier, James, it's F1 is a sport. It's not something, yes, it is entertainment, but it's not there purely for entertainment. It is a sport. These are athletes at the end of the day. And yes, giving them only like one session of practice would make it more like F2 and F3 and more entertaining for the viewers. Because I know in the past, I haven't always paid attention to every practice session because I haven't had the time to watch them. But if there were things to race, like points to race for, I may be more inclined to watch them. But surely they can't just do one practice session for F1 and then, like, what are they going to do? Add a couple extra sprint races across the weekend with qualifying and then have the Grand Prix just so you can get more points? I don't know, I'm torn on this one because, personally, I love the fact that in F2 and F3 they only get 45 minutes of practice because, you know, you, you speak to the drivers afterwards and they go, yeah, I just didn't, didn't hook up in practice and it really affected my weekend. And it makes practice so much more important without, you know, monetizing, monetizing, not monetizing, but like, you know, pointizing. Uh, if that's a word, I'm making it a word. Um, you know, there's technically nothing to play for in that session, but there's everything to play for. You see drivers don't quite get it right and then it ruins their weekend and they're learning that early in their careers. Some of the F3 drivers turned 17 this season. Like, those guys are teenagers. So, why shouldn't the stakes be as high in F1? But yes, that then does raise the problem of you get fewer sessions or you'd have to compensate with you know a sprint race or, or things like that, which aren't necessarily that popular to the F1 fan base. I don't know. There's so many different things to consider here, uh, but I don't think adding points to practice is is the right way to go. Some, sometimes if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It would be interesting to see what Dominicali and that come up with. I feel like they could try or something and see, but I don't think they should do it purely for money or for just making it more enjoyable for fans. What about a two-day weekend? We had one in the midst of COVID at Imola. Why not make the event 
shorter, make the event cheaper for fans. And also the the time and the load on those working in the sport is far too much when you're getting into 24 races a year. So why not make them two-day events? One practice session, quality, race. James, you laughed at me. Because cash is king, my friend. <laughs> I don't think making it cheaper for the fans is ever going to go down well, is it? But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I don't think it's a bad idea. I just don't think they would ever do it. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I'm not done with my rant about Dominicali. Uh, go on, making then. It all, all for the show. I'll just make, quickly, I'll before we move on, I mean, some of his other quotes from the weekend. When asked what his satisfying moment had been since, oh, well, since being appointed CEO, he said... The World Championship being decided on the last lap of the last race last year in Abu Dhabi, aside from the controversy. I mean, Mrs. Lincoln, aside from that, how was your trip to the theatre? You can't put that aside. Like, (laughs) I hate that. (laughs) That's like the main part of it. Like, if you think of Abu Dhabi, you think of the whole controversy around it. I can't believe he answered that. I just, (laughs) I was mind blown. The CEO of F1, everyone. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry that, that that Mrs. Lincoln thing is really a really <laughs> sent me over the edge. <laughs> now, our final piece of news is something that Sam briefly touched on earlier, and it is it involves the Formula Two champion of 2022, Felipe Dragovic. Now, he won the championship after retiring from the sprint race, actually, which. It was quite cool to actually see on TV because you could see him watching the race go on and see Porsche and everyone and you can see his reactions despite not actually racing. And across the weekend, he was seen in the Aston Martin garage. Now, as avid motorsport fans would know, Felipe, before the weekend of the Italian Grand Prix, didn't have any affiliation with any F1 team. He was free agent and there was loads of speculation as to where he would go where whether he would get a seat whether he'd become a reserve driver etc etc and mp motorsport his f2 team shared the picture of him in the aston martin garage saying oh he's just looking for the toilet and then like social media blew up but it turns out that he has joined aston martin's develop driver development program as a test driver and a reserve driver meaning that he'll be partaking in the postseason Abu Dhabi test for the team and the FP1 session in Abu Dhabi. And next season, he won't have a seat in F1, but he will be able to drive the cars if Alonso or Stroll are out. He'll be able to cover for them over a weekend. So I'm very excited about this because I was really worried that Felipe would kind of win F2 and then not have anything after it. So I'm excited that he's actually joined an F1 team. In fairness, I, in that moment, he genuinely was trying to find a toilet. He was in his race suit. It was the middle of a session. <laughs> not, I'm not sure that's the opportune moment to sign a contract uh, that your future is you know, contingent <laughs> upon. But And also, MP Motorsport were in front, I think, of um, of the Aston Martin garage where they were stationed. Or, But maybe he just knew his way around the Aston Martin paddock by that point. Um, but anyway... I'm thrilled for Felipe. A little bit of my, a little bit of me is 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 sad though that it's not a a full time seat. He potentially is still in the running for the Haas seat and the the Alpine seat. So you know, would Aston Martin loan him? Who knows? 
but yeah, or the Williams actually. Williams is still in the picture, but obviously they've got their uh, their dance cars full at the moment. Um, so yeah, a little bit of me is sad that it's not a full race seat because I think it's deserved. But it's good that his future is secured. Absolutely. Yeah, he definitely deserves a full time seat, and with with Aston Martin, like Alonso has just signed a multi year deal, and. Lance Stroll isn't leaving the team anytime soon. I can't imagine him leaving. Um, so it is said that Felipe won't get a full-time seat, but he is looking forward to it. He said that his primary goal is to learn and develop as a driver. So whether he's hoping for a seat in 2024 and just using 2023 as kind of a year to learn about F1 more and the cars more and like the demands of an F1 driver and that just to help him grow. And then hopefully in 2024, we'll see him. Honestly, Fernando, I'm going to address you directly now. Put your feet up, kitten. Draw from your pension. You know, you've had a good run. Relax. Enjoy retirement. It's time. <laughs> and on that bombshell, I think we'll call it a day. Uh, now, quickly to say, uh, yeah, I think it's good for Felipe and it seems like the right place for him. Um, I don't know exactly when he will get into a seat and when... Fernando will heed your advice, Sam, but hopefully I think he's done enough to show that he definitely deserves a place in the paddock and hopefully one day you'll get into an F1 car and drive it in anger. But yes, so that's uh, about all the time we've got for this week. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to head over to FormulaNerds.com to check out the latest news and of course on all your usual socials and then go and check out the Cut to the Race podcast. So thank you both for joining me. Uh, No, there's only three of us, so we can't do our, our usual outro but uh it has been a pleasure and it hasn't been a chore james and check out our social media for much much more <laughs> there you go see <laughs> can't not do it see you next week guys you're listening to the cut to the race podcast it's lights out and away we go sports social podcast network